Hey guys, Rish here with Din. We'd like to welcome you to a very special edition of Z Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast. It's Christmas! As you can tell, Din's pretty excited about it being Christmas. Could be about the Zelda stuff she thinks she's getting. Knows she's getting. She'd like to think that she knows she's getting a bunch of Zelda stuff. I know you bought me Zelda stuff. Okay, we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Anyways, guys... Hope you enjoy the podcast, and here we go. Alright, so we're going to start today's podcast off with um, a submission from Axel the Beast, who is um, going to start a regular segment here at Talk. It is... Um, He's titled it Beastly Oddities. Uh, See, puns are catching on with everybody. Um, We gave him the difficult task of finding a Christmas theme in Zelda. So, we'll send it over to Axel. Well, hey guys, welcome to Beastly Oddities, a segment of Z-Talk, the Zelda Dungeon podcast. Uh, Beastly Oddities is basically where I go over uh, Easter eggs or odd things you may have noticed that may or may not be significant. Just call your attention to odd things in the Zelda series that you, uh, you know, might not have noticed. And I also sometimes occasionally bring up uh, points of view or theories that are unusual or most people don't think about. Basically calling your attention to odd things, oddities. Um... This is a wintry edition. Uh, there's a limitation of wintry things in Zelda I can talk about because, you know, it's actually kind of a scarce theme in Zelda. I mean, that's actually a point worth bringing up on its own, the fact that ice and snow is a scarcity in the Zelda series, in the Zelda world. I'd say the game that used uh, that the most was uh, Spirit Tracks, which had a whole fourth of the map, which was based on the ice region, and a whole dungeon, and a whole town, lots of other areas. And I'd say second place would go to Phantom Hourglass with its uh, single island, which was ice-themed. Uh, third place to uh, Majora's Mask, which had, well, maybe that'd be about equal. Actually, that might actually technically be more than Phantom Hourglass. Okay, Majora's Mask at second place, because it had a whole area. And uh, then Phantom Hourglass at third. And uh, at fourth place, I'd say probably uh, Twilight Princess, because in that one, it was just a short area you ran through. Uh, there isn't an extensive amount of... Um, usage of ice in the Zelda games. Now, um, some of these topics I'm going to bring up may not uh, be directly winter-related, but at least related to something winter-related, because as I said, there's a scarcity of these things. Uh, the first thing is kind of ma- is kind of major, though. Uh, you remember the Anuki? You know, the little Eskimo antler-bearing people from uh, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks? Um, they were interesting. They were, new- they were an in- interesting new addition to the... Um, you know, the races of Zelda. But one thing is that in Phantom Hourglass, I always thought they were suspicious. It seemed like there was this whole element of the world there, the the, uh, Ice Island or whatever it was called, in that they, uh, like, there was more going on or more intended to be going on than they did. They had, like, this almost, like, gangster mafia talk. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but the way they talked had this kind of uh, sleazy and or rude nature to it. Now, maybe that's all they intended, just the Anuki to appear kind of rude or to go along with the kind of mystery aspect when you were trying to uncover which one was the, uh, the yuke in disguise. But it still seems like there was some element of sinister, uh, you know, behavior among the Anuki where they were actually supposed to be, like, like, um, uh, keeping secrets about the yuke and that the yuke actually weren't as bad. 
And maybe that was intended, and that's what they were doing, because the Uke were actually being mind-controlled, and maybe the Anuki knew that, but it seems like it was something they didn't follow up on. Uh, maybe I'm crazy in imagining this. I'm actually curious what you guys think, and I'd like you to tell me in the comments, in addition to comments on other parts of the podcast, of course, but um, that's one thing that I'm curious if anyone else had that thing, or if it's just me. Um, another point is that in uh, the Zelda series, the ice dungeons always seem to be a little tricky. Have you noticed that, like, in Twilight Princess, I actually thought Snow Peak Ruins was probably one of the toughest uh, parts of the game. I actually had quite a lot of trouble with Snow Peak Ruins, especially, like, on, uh, well, Three Heart Challenges, where you always have trouble, but I had more so on that dungeon. And, uh, I thought the ice dungeon in Phantom Hourglass was particularly tricky. I mean, it wasn't so bad in Spirit Tracks, particularly because it was an early dungeon, but the boss, uh, Fraz, was actually really tough. So, you know... Maybe not in Ocarina of Time, it wasn't that bad, but I know Majora's Mask's Ice Dungeon, the uh, Snowhead Temple, was actually kind of hard, and at least really annoying to people. So, I don't know, that's uh, worth noting. It, it's almost as bad as water temples sometimes. Maybe that's na natural to the element, because ice is kind of uh, tricky, slippery, uh, hazardous in general, and just, you know, the way that element works, it naturally gives an amount of difficulty to its temples, just like water naturally adds a more three-dimensional uh, element of thinking with the puzzles. So, I don't know, maybe that makes sense. Um, now, this is going to seem unrelated at first, but I want to talk about the uh, the suffix that's used for enemy names, uh, foes, you know, stall foes, uh, lizal foes, you know, stuff like that. Now, the thing about this suffix is a lot of people, or at least uh, used to, identify it as meaning humanoid enemies. Now, this is obviously becomes a problem when you get into enemies like White Wolfos, and now there is where it connects, the White Wolfos. The thing is, is that totally breaks that notion that uh, of, um, of the humanoid enemies, because the White Wolfos, well, the original Wolfos and White Wolfos were humanoids, they were like werewolves. The White Wolfos, since Twilight Princess, and also in Spirit Tracks, mimic the same basic design, were totally just dogs, and they jumped out of the snow like, like, snow sharks. That was actually kind of weird and cool, by the way. Um, I just, I think this foes suffix was always supposed to mean something more like, uh, the Z-targeting kind of method. All the foes enemies fight you with, like, a targeting method similar to you use, that you use. The exception now is the fact that the White Wolfos don't quite... Well, actually, it seems like they might sort of a bit. I don't know, that's a little harder to place, I guess, but... It just... I think that they've, uh... They originally had an intention, and I think it was the targeting method thing. But then after that, I think... The foes thing just got, like, changed because they decided to make a new design for that specific enemy, which confused whatever the original meaning of the suffix might mean. I mean, stall, as... Well, that's a prefix, but stall still makes sense, because it means skeletons. Geld, uh, well, it's used for ground or sand-based enemies, usually. And uh, Blin, as a suffix, usually still applies to the same sort of goblin-like enemies that's generally served Ganon. So, you know, that all makes sense. It's just the foes thing. And I blame the white bull foes. I blame Twilight Princess. Um, another thing I noticed here is with... Uh, this is a Snow Peak Room... Uh, Snowhead Temple, excuse me, is a great example of this, but I've noticed that with the Gorons, their dungeons tend to be very vertical in nature. I mean, it's kind of odd, because you'd think the Gorons are a very vertically challenged race. They, all their abilities seem to be based on power and horizontal, you know, stuff. They don't seem to have the ability to manipulate stuff from a vertical aspect very much. Though at the same time, if you were to apply that kind of body that they have to real world, it's not quite that case, because they're obviously very powerful and strong. They could probably scale a rock wall without any really good 
you know, handholds easily just by, like, you know, gripping stuff and ripping into the rock. That, that probably wouldn't be that hard for them in a real-world scenario, not bogged down by basic gameplay. And they've also shown that Gorons can fall an incredibly high distance without taking any damage as long as they curl up into a wall, as seen in Ocarina of Time. So, I don't know, maybe it still works, but I've noticed, like, the Fire Temple in Ocarina of Time was a very vertical. There were large shafts that you could fall down, and, uh, you know, you'd have to climb back up. One of the only dungeons where I used, uh, Ferrora's Wind, actually, so I wouldn't have to climb back up. And uh, Snowhead Temple was much like this, and it was very annoying because in that game you didn't have an easy warping method, and you just had to basically climb back up. I mean, I heard there was tricks about using the uh, Deku to die in the lava pits at the bottom and respawn at the last door you came out of, but that's that's cheating. That doesn't count. Um, yeah, Snow Peak Ruins is actually... I mean, Snowhead Temple. I always mix those two up. Snowhead Temple is actually often so uh, cited as one of the most annoying dungeons in Majora's Mask. It even competes with the water dungeon of the game for being the most... Uh, le or least popular dungeon. Because... <laughs> uh, which is a little bit of a feat, if you think about it. Um... Another thing about uh, an ice dungeon is in Twilight Princess, the Snow Peak Ruins marks one of the only dungeons in the series that at least comes to mind where the compass of the dungeon was a crucial item in figuring out what you were supposed to do next. Mo normally, the dungeon map and the compass are obviously incredibly useful, and, you know, realistically, you really do want to get them so you can, you know, figure out the dungeon and stuff. But I think S Twilight Princess Mark is one of the only games that contains a dungeon where the compass is borderline necessary, because once you... there's a part where you, you can't find the key that you're supposed to get to unlock the next door, and you get the compass, and then suddenly you can see that there is a key buried under the snow, which you can dig up with the dog. But, or in wolf form. But the thing there is, perhaps other people could notice that there was a bump there in the snow, but I didn't, and I don't think you were intended to, because there was a lot of bumps in the snow in general. So, I think that was the intention. And that's interesting, because those items, if they are, there are ways that they could use those and make them very necessary, like having dungeons that are so complex they can't be navigated without a good view of the layout from the map, or, you know, similar things with the compass. That intrigues me. Uh, there are other games in the series that mess around with the dungeon items, not just not the compass so much. Um, for example, in the Minish Cap and Twilight Princess, they've messed around with the big key a lot. There was a lot of uh, big key doors in uh, in uh, the Minish Cap in several dungeons. There's actually times where you had to use the big key on two different doors, which was odd. It wasn't restricted to the boss. Um, also, in uh, Twilight Princess, there is at least two dungeons where the big key collection was a little odd in Snow Peak Ruins. You are searching out the big key. <coughs> Excuse me. You were searching out the big key the entire dungeon, and you had to go to several different places as you were directed to it. And eventually, you, you found it, of course. That's not too unusual, but in the Goron Mines, you actually have to uh, put it together. And um, I guess it's a little different in the Link to the Past, too, which may be the first in instance of the big key existing, actually, in which you use it to unlock the dungeon item as well. But that's a. Uh, I don't know if that's related. I guess it is. In both Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, there's no compass. Uh, the dungeon map can be drawn on as usual, though the, you don't even collect the map. You just you have it, and you uh, you can see the rooms as you you know, first enter the floor. And uh, there's no compass. Instead, you use gossip stones and you bribe them with money to uh, tell you where chests are. And then finally, the uh, the big keys must be carried, and you can't do anything else while doing so. And you in Spirit Tracks, you had to avoid like. The uh, key masters, I think they were called. They're basically hands that grab the keys and stuff. And L.A. or Link's Awakening is also interesting with this because 
I mean, it doesn't use the big key that unusually, but uh, the compass makes a sound when you uh, when there's a key in the room, which was interesting. And maybe that makes the compass actually a little necessary in that game too. Then, and also it had the instance of having the teleporters, so you could uh, you know get to the entrance of the dungeon, and that's used in several subsequent games. Um, I think that what's important here is that there's some games in the series that use the dungeon items, these uh, basic items that appear in every dungeon, as an important um, aspect to completing the dungeon, and it makes dungeons a lot more dynamic, especially when different dungeons alternate between requiring different aspects of uh, the dungeon items. And I think this is something that the series could uh, learn from in general, and I think this is something that could enhance the, uh, the gameplay of the dungeons and the variety of the dungeons quite a lot. Of course, I'd like to know what you guys think. In fact, tell me what you think of all the points I've talked about. Did you notice these, etc.? What do you think? Uh, what did it make you think about? What, any ideas it gave you, etc.? Alright, that's it. That's all I've got for this time. This uh, semi-wintery themed edition, I guess. Uh, I'll give it back to Din and Rish, and uh, later, guys. Thanks, Axel. So, Din, I've had a thought. What's your thought? You know what? What would the people of Hyrule get from Santa? That's a good idea. Or it's a good question. What do you think Goron Link would get from Santa? A green tunic. Oh, I think that'd be good. How about the shopkeeper from the first game, from Legend of Zelda? What would Santa give the shopkeeper? <laughs> Probably something so he'd stop killing people. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a security camera. So hey, that if you, a good one. you try to sneak around behind me, he would catch you anyway, so you could never steal, and he'd never have to kill you horribly. <laughs> okay, wait, my turn. Um, what about Lineback? Lineback. Maybe some courage. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, he's worse than the lion from The Wizard of Aww. Oz. Courage is kind of hard to wrap, but okay. <laughs> I'm sure Santa would figure Santa out a way. Santa figured out. Um, oh, what about error? What would, what would Santa bring error? You mean error from uh, which um, game? The Adventure of Link. From The Adventure of Link. Uh, how about a name? <laughs> how about a real name? Oh. I am error is not a name. Well, okay. What would Santa bring... Tingle. A fairy! <laughs> oh, you mean a oh. fishing pole with a little string and a fake fairy on it no. to stick in his back pocket. Santa would be, wouldn't be mean to Tingle like you are. Santa would bring <laughs> Tingle a real fairy. Oh, that would be such a mistake on Santa's <laughs> part, but that's okay. You know what? Would, what would Santa bring Skull Kid? A friend. You know what, guys? <laughs> if Din keeps coming up with answers like that, we're going to have to cut this what? podcast short. Skull Kid needs a friend. That's all he's ever wanted is someone to play with. That's got to be the most upsetting answer I've ever heard. <laughs> what? It's the truth! I know it's the truth, but it's still upsetting. <laughs> okay. What about Ingo? Uh, Ingo needs a cup of coffee. I know that for a fact. <laughs> He needs to calm down a touch. Okay. What would, uh... What would he bring Madame Meow Meow? 
you remember the lady, she's got two chain chomps, you rescue the bigger one from the one dungeon. Yeah. How about... Chain chomp food? I don't know. Chain chomp food? Maybe some better chains for the chain chomps, right? There you go. Right? That, that'd be pretty good. How about Tetra from Wind Waker? Uh, what do you buy somebody that does everything? Nothing. Well, Santa's got to bring her something. I don't know. Uh, maybe some rope to tie herself down so she can't get kidnapped anymore. Again. Again. Okay. Um. Whoa! Oh, here, okay, I'll give you the hard one. What does Santa bring Ganon? Oh, you know what? Ganon's been a very bad boy every year I see him. <laughs> And I think he would get a lump of coal from Santa. I don't think you could get a lump of coal that big. I'm sure that <laughs> Santa would find a way. He'd give Ganon a coal mine. The he only could shape it like the Triforce. The only problem is he'd probably use it to power some evil schemes, <laughs> so that wouldn't work very well in anybody's point of view. Okay. How about Navi? Everyone. A microphone. <laughs> I think a muzzle would be more appropriate for Navi. No, but it's. Just that's something you'd want to give Navi. It's something Santa would give him. Navi would a microphone so you couldn't ignore her. Did you know what? <laughs> if Santa had to deal with Navi for more than two seconds, I'm sure he would just give her the muzzle too. <laughs> You're horrible. <laughs> I'm not horrible. So what do you guys think? What do you think Santa would give one of your favorite characters? Write it in the comment section below. What character would it be? And what would the present from Santa be? You know who we forgot? Who did we forget? Link. What does Santa bring Link? The hero of time. What do you get the hero of... Well, he's the hero of more than just time, but... What do you bring Link for Christmas? You bring Link... A holiday? <laughs> <laughs> I would say bring Link the new game that's supposed to be out. Skyward Sword! Yep. Bring Link into Skyward Sword. Let's get that game going. I was going to say that's what you should bring all of us for. <laughs> I wish it could come out for Christmas, but we're not going to be so lucky this time. But Rish is right, guys. We want to hear from you. You tell us who you would get a present for, or who you think... Uh, Santa. What you think Santa would get for your favorite character. So, uh, it looks like I'm being told that we have to cut to a commercial break. A commercial break? Yeah, I guess we've added a commercial break this time. Alright, let's go to it, and we'll see you guys soon. Hey there, all you folks out there in Hyrule. Don't know what to buy your loved one for Christmas. Or maybe you know what to buy them, but you don't have enough rupees. Well then, come on down to Malomar, located in North Castletown. Yes, Malomar, where everything's cheap. You'll like the prices so much, you won't be able to stop dancing. Woo! If your loved one wants bombs, we got those. If your loved one wants arrows, we got those. Malomar has everything that anybody could possibly want for Christmas. And at a good price, too. And don't worry, folks. These aren't knockoffs. Our bombs are made from Barnes himself. And if you're one of those high-class, royal-type people who want to buy something not cheap-looking for their folks, we got that, too. We just got this royal armor that came in, all shiny and spiffing-looking. If you act now, I'll throw mm, 0.2% off. 
Now that's a bargain, folks. So what are you waiting for? You want the perfect gift to buy your loved one for Christmas? Come on down to Malamar, located in North Castletown. That's Malamar, located in North Castletown. Yes, Malamar, located in North Castletown. In case you didn't hear me before, it's Malamar, located in North Castletown. Malamar, located in North Castletown. Warning, Malamar does not actually have everything one could possibly buy. In fact, it probably only has about six or seven things. The royal armor mentioned before was already purchased by a kid from Ordon. There are no refunds in Malamar. If you don't like the product you received for the, or the price that you received it from, we don't care. Come on down to make sure your loved ones have a Merry Christmas. Woo! Wow. Yeah, that was kind of scary. But you gotta admit, that music was catchy. I know, it does make kind of dance to the one side, to the other side. <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. But you know what? I think I'm gonna have to slow down that last part there. I think I missed... I thought he said something about royal armor, and I missed it, though. Yeah, I think we should uh, double-check the fine print on that one. Alright, let's uh, forget about that crazy commercial. Din, what do we have up next? We have a very special um, segment for the podcast for the Christmas special. Rish and I have prepared something very special for you all. Um, and please bear with us. This was for fun. And we hope you enjoy it. On the first day of Christmas, Zelda get to me the sword of evil's bane. On the second day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me two claw shots and the sword of evil's bane. On the third day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me three goddess pearls, two claw shots and the sword of evil's bane. On the fourth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's bane. On the fifth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me five golden rings, four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword. On the sixth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me six empty bottles, five golden leaves, four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's bane. On the seventh day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, Four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's bane. On the eighth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me eight tiger scrolls, seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, five golden leaves, four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots. On the ninth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me nine ships to build, eight tiger scrolls, seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, five golden leaves, four piece of heart, three 
got his pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's pain. On the tenth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me ten owl statues, nine ships to build, eight tiger scrolls, seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, five golden leaves, four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's bane. On the eleventh day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me eleven magic spells, ten owl statues, nine ships to build, eight tiger scrolls, seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, Four piece of heart, three goddess pearls, two claw shots, and the sword of evil's bane. On the twelfth day of Christmas, Zelda gave to me twelve songs to learn, eleven magic spells, ten owl statues, nine ships to build, eight tiger scrolls, seven ancient sages, six empty bottles, five golden leaves, four piece of heart, three goddess pearls. Two claw shots and the sword of evil's pain. Merry Christmas from all of us here at Zelda Dungeon. Have yourselves a safe and happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year.